Hi, Pastor John saying thanks for joining us today. We're in Ecclesiastes, uh, second half of chapter one and all of chapter two. And we're taking a look at King Solomon and some of the things he learned from his lessons in life. So the question we have for you today, have you ever felt spiritually dry? Have you ever felt apart from God? Well, maybe you would sympathize with where King Solomon is in his walk. Let's take a look as we join our service with part two of Catching the Wind. Bring a friend. So I'd like you to turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 2, 26. We've got a big bite today. Um, I, think, I think you'll enjoy this. I hope you will. Let me read the passage for you. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom in surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoying yourself. But behold, that this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and Many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. Behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can be man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event 
happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like a fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all his vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days, full of sorrow. And his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Let us close in prayer. I've been on many job interviews. How many of you have been to a job interview? Look at that, almost everybody. Isn't that amazing? There was always this point that we got to in the interview, and I, I learned to do it myself, that there would be some form of a question would come to me, and it's like, well, what do you expect to get out of this? What are you working for? Where are you headed with this? You know, I learned to ask, where would you like to be in five years? And I ought to tell you something. The guy or the girl that ever said to me, well, in five years, I'd like to have your job, I would hire him just like that. And people would go, why do you hire that person? I said, they're going to work really hard to get my job. <laughs> and that is going to make me just look better. And it's going to be harder to get my job. But there was that question that was hanging there. What are you working for? What do you hope to accomplish? I want you to think about that while we go through this passage. What are you working for? Now, we're in Ecclesiastes. Last week, we saw this letter, this book, was written about Solomon from one of his descendants, somewhere around three, four centuries afterwards. And, you know, our current knowledge of linguistics and how everything works and idioms and that sort of thing places authorship somewhere around the third or fourth century B.C. Solomon lived in the ninth century B.C., so it was about 500 years between Solomon and the time this book was written. Uh, so that's all interesting, but I got to be honest with you. It doesn't really matter who wrote the book. I, I love these discussions. It gives us a little bit of insight and maybe it helps us to understand the text as we begin to work through it. 
Uh, but all those discussions can, can miss the primary element of Scripture that we have to keep in mind when we go through passages, especially, especially like this one here. Because I, I don't know how you felt when I got done reading, but it's not really all that edifying. I'm like, oh, gosh. So what do we do with this? So we can miss the primary element of the fact that this is authored and inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given it, is. and regardless of who wrote it and when they wrote it, it's been given us for, Scripture says in 2 Timothy, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So this passage has that. So what we have here, regardless of who wrote it and when it was written, is exactly what God wants us to have and wants us to hear this morning. So Ecclesiastes falls under the genre of wisdom literature. We talked about this. We're, you're going to hear it more often. It's kind of like Proverbs and Job. Uh, Ecclesiastes is filled with street smarts, uh, a, a type of knowledge that helps us get through our day deal with the people around us and the world around us. It's never a promise. It's never a guarantee. We've got to be careful not to take these things as promises or guarantees. But in general, it's a good idea how to interact with the world that we live in. And last week, we heard directly from the narrator, the person who wrote the book, and found that anything we can do, anything that we might be able to accomplish, anything we can own, anything we can be, has no value. Yikes. Has no value apart from God. So today, the narration turns to the teachings of Solomon. And they are absolutely, stunningly revealing. Now, our sermon today is Catching the Wind, Part 2. So Solomon is a life lesson all in himself. And we got to keep this in mind as we read this book. Because he started out really well. Now, here's the, value, here's the value of knowing and reading your Bible. Because if, if you're not familiar with how Solomon lived, you think he's a great guy. Amen? He is a great guy. Okay, wisest man in the world, richest man in the world. This is all really great stuff. He started out fantastically, but then he did a couple of things that he probably shouldn't have done. He imported horses from Egypt. And, and God had instructed the kings of Israel not to do that. He took wives from the neighboring countries, women that were not of the Jewish faith. God had told him not to do that as well. And as his popularity soared, as his riches began to accumulate, and he became the richest, wisest man in the world, maybe the wisest man ever created. He began to stumble, began to struggle in his faith. Oh, we would never do that, right? Solomon began to really struggle. And just a few years after he built the temple, that, that gleaming golden structure on top of the temple mount, he went to a nearby hillside, literally only a mile and a half away, and erected altars to foreign gods. All of his riches and all of his wisdom were absolutely no help to him. And his actions, you know, if you read the storyline, his actions eventually led to the division of Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms. 
And they've never been reunited since. So today we're going to see what was going on in Solomon's head in those latter years of his life where he was struggling so much. We're going to see the king's state of mind. We'll see his confusion in verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1. We'll see his delusion in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. And we will see his conclusion in verses 11 through 26 of chapter 2. So let's take a look at the king's confusion starting in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, this is a definite identification of Solomon. This is Solomon's teaching that the narrator is reiterating. It's going to become clearer as we move forward. Verse 13 says, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, begins examining the things of the world and comes to the conclusion that, in verse, the second half of verse 13, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. Now, I like the NIV here because it, it, it says the same thing. I, I just think it's a bit more clear. It says, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. This is a source of Solomon's confusion. There's a lot to do uh, to get by in the world. Uh, the world. Living in the world is not easy. Of course, God told Adam that it wasn't going to be easy, didn't he? As a result of the fall, he pronounces these curses over uh, the serpent and the woman. The serpent was going to crawl on his belly and eat dust. The woman was going to have pain in childbirth and pain in child rearing. Here's what he said to the man. Genesis 3:17. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles I shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Well, that sounds a little bit like a heavy burden to me, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, God placed it on man and woman. But the only reason he did that was because of their actions. They had brought it upon themselves because of their own sin. And just as Adam was exiled from the garden and would have to fend for himself and his family, Solomon speaks of a life in exile, a life away from God, without God's sustaining presence, without his protection. It's a dark, grim, and heavy burden to bear. Life's hard without God. Yet, Yet you, you still see a hint that the lot that we've been given is given by God. Now, I'm not sure exactly what Solomon was thinking, but he's acknowledging that his situation comes from God. It has a purpose. It has some meaning. Solomon knows that it's in there, but at this point, he's having a hard time laying hold of it. He's having a hard time embracing it and understanding what's going on. In verse 14, he said, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Now, all this work is, is under the sun. We're going to see this phrase frequently, and we need to understand what it means. Solomon's looking at it from a worldly perspective. Under the sun is a horizontal perspective. He's looking around him. He's seeing everything around him, and it's descriptive of a worldview that does not look up. You catch that? 
under the sun. He's not looking up. Only what he sees is, is what surrounds him. And there's no perspective here on eternity. There's nothing transcendent. Now, I, I used that word last week. You're going to hear it more because we need to understand that, that God is transcendent. He's above and beyond everything. And he's inviting us into that transcendence. But we can be distracted. We can be distracted by the things around us. Without some perspective on eternity, without something transcendent, everything else just means nothing. All the achievements of Solomon's career, they're vapor without God. They're not just vapor, but they're futile and frustrating there's nothing to gain. Look at what he says. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. These are idioms. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, suppressing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He said, I, I knew a lot of stuff. I had a lot of stuff. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You know, what Solomon is saying here is this. Wisdom can help us understand the world around us, but it also helps us to see how impossible it is to control anything and to profit from what we see. In other words, the more we know about how the world works the more that we see that anything we try to add to it is meaningless. King's confusion stems from seeing a world around him and trying to find a purpose without his father in heaven. Now, look what this leads to in Solomon's life. So we understand Solomon's situation. He's confused about life, but his confusion stems from the fact that He's really not including God in what he's doing. So look at his delusion, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. Uh, there's a nuance here that we, we shouldn't allow to pass us by. When God tests someone, it's always to demonstrate their faith. And the word test in the context that we're seeing right here infers proving or affirming something. Uh, but look who's doing the testing. It's Solomon. Solomon has taken things into his own hands. He's testing his own heart. And what's he testing it with? With pleasure. He's trying to affirm his, his heart with, with joy. He wants to have a good time. And the implication is that because he's a king, because he's rich, because he's wise, he's going to pursue all the pleasure that he can. And being the richest person in the world, he has a capability to pursue all sorts of pleasure. Verse 2, he said, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? None of it. None of the stuff he was pursuing fulfilled him. Nothing he tried was working. Then starting in verse 3, listen to this. I search my heart with how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. 
I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks and more than any who had before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and promises. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines and delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from him. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. Do you notice any theme in there? I will test you. I search my heart till I might see I made great works. It just goes all the way on through verse 10. I, 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 I. It's all about Solomon. He's made himself the center of his universe. It's all about what he did, what he made, what he accumulated, everything he did, he did for himself. A little gem in there, right there in verse 10. After all the emphasis on himself, Solomon has just a tiny revelation, a little, little spark of light here. My heart found pleasure in all my toil. And that was his reward. Did you catch it? He took pleasure in the hunt for happiness. That gave him some joy. You see, you see the trap that he fell into? The only pleasure he received in trying to fulfill himself came from trying to do exactly that, trying to fulfill himself. He never quite got there. Apart from God, he was never quite satisfied. So his only option was to try harder, to try harder to fulfill himself. This is... This is a description of addictive behavior. I'm not happy with what I have, so I'll just get more. And Solomon is wrapped up in this. He's stuck in a never-ending loop. And he's at the epicenter of it all, and he's unable to escape from it. Solomon's delusion was that everything he did, he did for himself. He did nothing, and it did nothing to fulfill him. He was frustrated and empty. But he found a strange joy in his efforts, not a fulfillment. And all that, as he ponders this, leads him to make a decision. That's the conclusion that we see starting in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. There's that under the sun again, isn't it? An earthly perspective with no regard for anything heavenly. Let me rephrase this verse for you. Here's the Kavakis translation of that verse. There's nothing to be gained in this horizontal existence. I look around me and see that it's all a waste of time. This is the king. 
Verse 12, he said, so I can turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what's already been done. Now, now he's trying to, to figure out the difference between being wise and being foolish. And it's folly that assumes he can do anything that hasn't been done. Life may be futile and frustrating, but there is a difference between wisdom and folly, he says. Verse 13, then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. If personal gain is the goal, is what he's saying, if you're looking to get ahead, if you're looking to accumulate more, if you're looking to make yourself happy, you're better off with wisdom, you're better off with knowledge. Verse 14, he says, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, verse 15, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. He says, ultimately, what do I gain by being wise? Nothing. At some point, we all die. The wise and the foolish, we all die. Verse 16, for of the wise was as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all we have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. Seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Verse 19, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity, he says. More eyes. Solomon's goal, if his goal is to accumulate, to be remembered, to have some lasting benefit from everything he has done, it's just not working. He sees where it's going. Verse 20, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. You ever been there? You ever felt like what you're doing is just not working? Whatever it is you're trying to lay a hold of, you can't quite embrace it. You can't quite find it. Some people say that's a dry feeling. Some people say it's a wilderness trip. That's where Solomon is. He's out in the wilderness, and he's dry, and he's parched. You see what's happening here? Solomon is worried about his stuff. He's worried that he's had no impact on the world around him. He's struggling with whether or not his life has any meaning at all. And he says in verse 21, because sometimes a person who is told with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. This is bad. Verse 22, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. 
Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. I just wanted to have something to make you feel uplifted this morning. This concern he has, this vexation that Solomon is consumed with, the Hebrew word for vexation connotes grief. It actually talks about pain. He's grieving, he's hurting, and it's consuming the king. He's losing sleep, he's mourning over it all. He's tossing and turning at night. But they're, 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 they're just little glimmers of awareness. There's something stirring deep down inside Solomon. He knows joy is possible. Verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? It's almost as if Solomon knows that the peace that he's looking for can only be found in God. He even uses the, afraid, the phrase, apart from God. The first indication that maybe, maybe, just maybe, Solomon is headed for a confession that he's not walking with God at this particular moment. He knows that the peace that he's looking for, the peace that he craves, that the joy that he's searching for is available in and through his Father in heaven. But Solomon... This wise man is not living for God. He's living for himself. And in verse 26, he says, For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after. King's conclusion is no matter what you do, it all goes back to God. He owns it anyway. All the toil and work of all those who are apart from God go directly to the one who sits on the throne and to his immediate subjects. His conclusion is that this is not working because it all belongs to God anyway. So, so we've seen this state of mind. We see this confusion. Solomon got confused. He got frustrated after he turned away from God. We saw the delusion that he's fun functioning under. He did everything he could to, to please himself. And he, he was a man of incredibly capable means. And he came up short. Now, we all, we all know this is true, don't we? We know that we can't please ourselves. Yet, it's hard to walk that out. It's hard to live a life that we're not thinking, if I just do this, I'll be a little happier. If I just get that, I'll be a little bit more fulfilled. It's hard to live this out. This man had everything. And he still felt empty and found himself wondering why he did everything he did. And the conclusion was that the only joy in living comes in and through the hand of God. Now, don't miss this. Because this comes from a man who walked closely with God, who spoke to him, who was blessed mightily by him. Solomon knows what it's like to have an intimate relationship with God. He lived it. And now 
Now he knows what it feels like to be apart from him. And he knows that it's not right. He's lost his joy. He's lost his peace. Everything that he thought had value is worthless without God in his life. We know that feeling. I, I, I mean, I, I'm just like you are. Sometimes I'm on a roller coaster. Sometimes I'm at the mountaintop. Things are absolutely fantastic. And sometimes I'm down in the valley. I don't like being in the valley. But that's when God teaches us. The question is whether or not we're willing to learn. Because again, I don't know about you. But my tendency is when I'm valley, I want to do everything to get out of it. And that's when my eyes start. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll listen carefully. Because I can do some pretty spiritual looking things, can't you? I'll just read my Bible more. I'll just pray more. I'll just, I'll just volunteer more. I'll go down to the shelter. Oh, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Solomon did all that. And the problem he had, what his motivation was to fulfill himself. He wasn't doing it for God. He was doing it for him. There's something to think about. What are you and I working for? You know something? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. How did Solomon, the richest man in the world, get to the point where he felt empty and meaningless? He began working for himself. He began working for himself, trying to fulfill himself, trying to make himself happy. And it didn't work. The right question is, who are you working for? Who are you working for? That requires some deep heart examination. Solomon's kind of going through the process, but he ain't there yet. <laughs> this is only chapter two. So the question is, who are we working for? Are we working for ourselves? Are we working for him? Anything other than God will leave us empty and dry. Let's pray. Father, we pray that even as we look at the life of this man, who was in every respect a great man. But Lord, we realize that none of us are so great that we can accomplish anything apart from you. We thank you for the man who sits here and says, I tried it all. None of it worked apart from God. Pray, Father, that you would impose those lessons upon us, that we would carry them with us, Father. And Lord, that by the power of the Spirit you've given us, one that dwells inside us, we would step by step begin to lead lives for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
like you stand for a second. Bow your heads, please. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for turning in. Uh, next week, we'll be in Ecclesiastes 3, um, an iconic passage. Um, I think I've been blessed by my study so far. I think you will be too. Thank you. I'll be over here if you have any questions or comments. Mm. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on Giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.